the city of St. Louis, you're listening to the Don't Push Pause podcast with your hosts. Welcome back, everyone, to our special episode. Welcome, Justin. Hey, Lindsay. Yeah, this is a very special and different kind of episode for us. Um, we're kind <laughs> yeah. of changing things up a little bit. Just for this episode, after you know this, we'll be back to our uh, regular format. But we want to do something a little bit special, so we're going to, seeing as that it's April and it's uh, the 20th, we thought, why not try to do a stoner episode on 420 and put it out and in talking we realized that we actually share the same our favorite stoner movie is the same one yeah smiley face which is a movie you and i have had a mutual appreciation for i think since i met you and (laughs) we always talked about kind of figuring out a way to fit that into an episode but we both liked it too much to really want to use it as a pick of the week what was i wa- i was watching a documentary on the it was on netflix it was like the making of the new jay and silent bob movie kevin smith's movies always have a lot of like smoke and weed and you know two characters that are stoners and mm-hmm. there was something like that in the documentary and then i started thinking about going back to the idea of smiley face and then i i was looking at our schedule and i was like oh man 420 is on a Tuesday this year, <laughs> so we should totally do a stoner episode. And so I was texting you and I said, hey, you know, maybe this is a way to fit Smiley Face in. And we were in agreement, but we really didn't know what we were going to do quite yet. And then once uh, you, you started formulating ideas pretty quick and then you were sending me some ideas and notes and then you went down <laughs> the sort of like historical research uh, hole and the more stuff yeah, you sent me I and that you were sending me links to stuff and I was like whoa okay like there's an angle here like let's get into the history of marijuana and movies and kind yeah. of we could do this whole journey so we're going to attempt to do this uh, we did this uh, in a similar fashion with our 80s versus 90s slasher films where we kind of went through the decades but we're actually going to go even further back to the joining of film in uh, marijuana and kind of take you all the way through the history of weed in cinema and then we'll end in present day and we'll have some other observations and we'll talk about uh, a lot of things that we've discovered along the way you know the stoner tropes how uh, stoner movies have changed over the years from decade to decade and the commonalities that they share and things that won't ever happen things that will always continue to happen but you know Everything that we're going to be talking about, there have been documentaries, there have been special exhibits at history museums, you know, people have gone in depth into this subject before. So we're going to be giving you the history as we see it and the history as it fits into marijuana and films. Even just the topic of, you know, the first 30 years of marijuana and films could be a two hour documentary and and has been, you know, so... Bear with us. We're going to give you 
um, everything that we've taken from our research, which has really been fascinating. I, this might be scandalous to say, but I haven't been high once while doing the research. It was probably a good idea that I wasn't. But I, I haven't either if you don't count research watching stoner movies. I did that with Smiley Face, and I did Smiley Face without smoking, too. And I think I only did it with one other one, but I kind of wanted to see them all in like the light of day. I think I'm just inherently like my person is just someone that I don't even need to smoke weed. I just have that personality, I think, a little bit. Man, this is going to come back to bite me when I run for office, isn't it? Yeah. Well, you know me. I'm an edibles guy. So I... uh, It's true. I... uh, (laughs) partaked and didn't partake depending on the movie uh there was definitely a few movies that i tried uh which you know had been suggested to me like oh yeah this is a good one to watch uh stoned and then about 20 minutes in realized like no no not for me you know (laughs) not for me in this condition so for me it was like hit and miss like sometimes i would say you know i'm gonna watch this in a different state of mind and then a lot of times I was like, you know what, I'm just, we're doing research. I'm watching these stone cold sober. And I, I do think that the stoner comedy isn't just for if you're getting stoned. I mean, there's a lot of, most of them are comedies and there's relatable humor, whether you're high or not, you know, or if you've ever been high, you can relate to what the characters are going through. Yeah. And that's going to be one of the things we talk about. You know, what exactly is a stoner movie you know what does it generally include does it include weed smoking does it not you know what is it i think it's a very personal thing to each individual but there are um you know so many aspects of what makes a movie a stoner movie so we'll get into all of the uh kind of nitty-gritty and this is going to be a really fun episode yeah and again we're covering uh Nearly a hundred years of <laughs> of uh, marijuana in movies, so we're going to try as much as we can to skim a little bit deeper than the surface, but we're going to try to keep moving along decade to decade, you know, as quick as we can, so that this isn't a six part podcast and that we can fit it yeah. all into one episode. So uh, let's uh, let's take this trip together. Let's go back in time. We'll start at the very beginning. The interest in marijuana in America and uh, how it uh, started colliding into the entertainment industry. So before we get into talking about how marijuana first integrated into films, we need to go back to the Prohibition era of 1920 to 1933. And sound had just showed up into film around 1923, and that was short films. And it's not like movies weren't around before that. They certainly were. Another thing growing in popularity at the time was jazz. And during Prohibition, everyone uh, that was, you know, interested in boozing it up wasn't going to miraculously stop drinking, no matter if it was illegal or not. So as it was widely known that many booze joints were forced underground, and in those places, jazz was really popular. And not to say it was, you know, some sort of a lock-in, you know, you go there and you're down there for eight hours, but a lot of these musicians would go down there and play like six, seven eight-hour sessions, you know, you can't help but feel the vibe of what's going on around you, these 
dark speakeasies where everyone's kind of being a little secretive and doing something that they shouldn't. And while alcohol was popular at the time, one thing that was growing in popularity was the use of marijuana. Now, it wasn't as widely known, but it was popular among many jazz musicians. One of the most well-known was Louis Armstrong, who said, you know, you're playing these long sessions, you don't want to be inebriated. You don't want to be drunk for it. You can't continue playing if that's the case. And marijuana was great for experimentation and improvisation and just moments that really sustained your energy for as as long as you needed it to go. I like that idea that's for a very practical purpose. Yeah. And and I think that it also, you know, was an enjoyable experience at the same time. But thinking about how jazz rolls, you know, yeah. Marijuana does totally work with that. And it's no secret that drinking does affect your breathing when you're trying to sing or like use your mouth as an instrument. Yeah, yeah, of course. So as marijuana was becoming a little bit more widely used, it became known what was kind of going on. So there wasn't a federal law that came about, but One by one, states started making marijuana illegal about 1923, just as there was this gradual spread. Now, because so many people were using marijuana, law enforcement kind of felt like they needed another angle to maybe guide people in the direction of thinking, hey, you shouldn't be doing this type of thing. So they start equating marijuana with jazz which we're going to get there because there is a long history of this. It is just inherent straight-up racism is what they're trying to do because jazz music, I mean, it was predominantly by African Americans and it was popular and it was a symbol of black empowerment. And as this anti-marijuana bandwagon gets a rolling, prohibition is basically abandoned because no one is paying attention to it. No one, everyone's still drinking. They realize it's a bad idea and that there may be other ways to regulate alcohol consumption. And even with that abandoned, the anti-dope campaign was kind of starting to get in full swing, especially after a man, a real humdinger of a fella, I tell you, named Harry Anslinger was put in charge of spearheading this anti-marijuana campaign. He was the chief of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics. And a little side note, he was appointed by his father-in-law, who was the federal department secretary. And if you dive real deep into researching how cannabis, marijuana, whatever you wanted to call it at the time, was dampened down, it had everything to do with people having connections to pharmaceutical industry, textiles, just every type of fundamental industry that made the country work didn't want hemp production to happen. That hemp production would straight up cut into every single industry. And that was something that wasn't wanted by the white men in charge. So officially, in 1937, the Marijuana Tax Act made marijuana completely illegal. So Anslinger really amps up this idea of doing an intense media offensive that is basically to terrify the public and create this support for banning. I mean, I can't help but feel shame as being a white person knowing that this happened, but this came out of racism, you know, and whether it comes from jazz 
or it comes from adopting the word marijuana instead of cannabis, which is what was put on prescription bottles when they did actually prescribe cannabis for things. It was always cannabis. The government started using the word marijuana because it was the Latin nickname for cannabis, thus making white people a little bit more fearful that, oh, you mean the Mexicans are going to come over the border and take over my life? I mean, that's that's what they were doing. And, and, and I think you can look at that and see it as covert, you know, something that's trying to be sneaky. In another way, Anslinger wasn't being sneaky about it at all. I'm not even going to set up this quote, and I shouldn't be flabbergasted by the fact that the man said it, but to further instill this fear campaign for marijuana that he wanted the country to feel, he said, and I quote, that Negroes, Hispanics, Filipinos, and entertainers with their satanic music, jazz, and swing result from marijuana use and causes white women to seek out sexual relations with Negroes and entertainers. I wish I could have had like a good 30s voice for that, but I'm like kind of just too appalled (laughs) that that was part of our country's history, you know? So this really kicked us into the full-on negative media campaign. The war on marijuana was in full effect, targeting prominent musicians and performers at the time, like Louis Armstrong was one. I think he was actually the first one that was arrested for possession in 1931. Also Billie Holiday. And after the Marijuana Tax Act is put into effect, this media campaign is going right along. The propaganda films begin. These high school boys and girls are having a hop at the local soda fountain. Innocently, they dance. Innocent of a new and deadly menace lurking behind closed doors. Marijuana, the burning weed with its roots in hell. In this film, you will see the ease with which this vicious plant can be grown in your neighbor's yard, rolled into harmless-looking cigarettes, hidden in an innocent shoe, or watch case. If you want a good smoke, try one of these. You will meet Bill, who once took pride in his strong will as he takes the first step toward enslavement. Of course, if you're afraid. destroying reefer they find a moment's pleasure but at a terrible price debauchery violence murder suicide and the ultimate end of the marijuana addict hopeless insanity Now, there was one movie that I could find from 1934 called Murder at the Vanities that was pre-production code era and before marijuana had been made illegal. It's a, like, murder mystery comedy musical where there's a nice little number about uh, how marijuana makes you feel. Now, in subsequent releases of that film, that little number has been removed from the film. Now, the most prominent movie that I think anyone who you don't even need to see it, you've probably just heard this title before, but Reefer Madness was the most well-known and the first anti-marijuana propaganda film was released in 1936. That was quickly followed up in 1937 by a movie called Assassin of Youth. Now these were both movies by the same producer, Dwayne Esbar, who was a 
exploitation filmmaker with such films you might recognize as Sex Madness, Sex Maniac, and How to Undress in Front of Your Husband. So real class act we're working with here. These movies um, right here in the beginning were showing that marijuana made you into a murderer, made you want to commit crime, made you want to rape people, you know, dropped out of everything in life and just basically were just the scum of the earth is what these movies were trying to uh, say. And they were just echoing all these horror stories that Anslinger was wanting the public to believe. And it's kind of wild. Like, I, I remember seeing Reefer Madness maybe in the late 90s and it being one of those things that you would just kind of watch as a joke, you know, in like a very ironic mm-hmm. way, get stoned and watch Reefer Madness. But, uh, <laughs> you know, and I think that was kind of a thing, you know, I think that still is a thing now. Um, yeah. But man, I, you know, when we started researching for this episode, I, you know, watched a little bit of Reefer Madness and it's kind of, it's kind of terrifying uh, how, yeah. you know, when you're talking about propaganda film and, and really uh, you think about the time period, I mean, something like this came out. I mean, people took that for straight fact. You know, I mean, movies were so new. There wasn't television yet when Reefer Madness came out. And it's kind of crazy. Like when you watch it now, you're like, man, it really paints marijuana is like this depravity and it's ridiculous to watch it now but if you frame it in the time of the late 30s it's it's pretty terrifying yeah and i think even looking at it now and thinking you know what could you equate that to is there any type of equivalent but you know we live in a time where information is readily accessible we also live in a major era of disinformation. But if the only information you have at your fingertips or that you're seeing in the movie theater is disinformation, that's crazy. You know, like, how are you not supposed to believe that? Especially when the government's already sort of backed this idea of like, we're demonizing marijuana and kind of this early form of pitting races against one another to say this is what you know this race is bad because they're doing it this way and knowing that people would jump on that bandwagon the quickest way you know to get people to rally around something is to use racism as a tool and uh, we've seen it you know time and time again in our history but uh it's kind of wild i never really knew all that you know in the mm-hmm. in the 30s that pushing this false information and, and kind of getting uh conservative white people to kind of rally together to sort of demonize uh the use of marijuana it's just really crazy and also is sad to think that that's all it took was someone going you know what we could really hook the white people with is just make them think that all black people are coming in and going to steal their women. Let, let's just make them terrified of that because they're already scared of that anyway for no reason. Let's just go ahead and do that and make it that much worse and make it into something that's has nothing to even do with marijuana, you know? And what's hysterical is, is like the marijuana that they were smoking in the 30s was probably, it's so weak compared to <laughs> all this like hydroponic yeah. stuff. So the idea that someone would smoke this like sort of cheap dirt weed and then like <laughs> go on like a, a murder spree is just outrageous. If you haven't seen Reefer Madness, it is readily accessible on YouTube. Check it out if you can, just to see what was going on. Because I, I think it is important just from a historical point of view and also to see where we've come. I mean, since we're talking about the history of stoner movies, like this is insane to look at this film and think, wow, it 
really hasn't even been a hundred years since that film. It's nuts. But in a strange twist that I kind of wasn't expecting and didn't know, the former mayor of New York City, Fiorello LaGuardia, he was kind of known as not being someone that was behind the anti-marijuana movement. He sets in motion this first ever study on the effects of marijuana, which you would think that maybe a study had been conducted before they made it federally illegal, but no. So the conclusion at the end of this five-year study is that there is no real addiction to marijuana, that all of the information included in these propaganda films is false and calls out Anslinger as saying, bro, this isn't right, and this this isn't true, and I'm not going to help endorse this. And after this report comes out, Anslinger just kicks it into high gear sends out agents to destroy all of the copies of this five-year study. And in 2021, we look at this and go, that comes out. I mean, you're done. You know, you're canceled. You're over. But in 1944, you could destroy all copies of this report. So that's what Anslinger tries to do. And he also starts the addition to this anti-marijuana campaign of equating marijuana as being just as bad as all other narcotics. And in fact being what we all know and all grew up learning, that marijuana is the gateway drug. Thus, starting kind of our first stoner trope, which is the pathetic social loser reject, right? And that's something that does persist to some degree um, throughout movies in contemporary time. It's certainly been amended. But that's kind of where we start with some of the stoner tropes that we've see that we see in films. Now, the misinformation campaign just continues on even further. And as far as laws go, I mean, Anslinger just convinces Congress to pass even stricter legislation on anti-marijuana and making penalties just as harsh as, say, someone who's arrested for heroin or cocaine. And even in Missouri, man, Justin, did you read this where if you were arrested for a second marijuana possession charge in Missouri you were sentenced to life in prison. Yeah, I mean, we could do an entire uh, non-movie-related episode on the injustices of spending all this time and money uh, the government spent on putting people away in prison for marijuana. It's just Yeah, just crazy. And the movies that followed, I mean, they were just one right after another. There's The Devil's Harvest, The Devil's Weed, She Should Have Said No, You know, all of these things that are just instilling fear, the terrible truth, just insanity, complete insanity that followed in the 40s and 50s. Yeah, we essentially have about 20 years worth of uh, propaganda PSAs rallying around the uh, dangers of using marijuana. Yeah, and they're all crazy plots, but they're all saying the same thing, that you make one decision that's related to weed and then it's going to ruin the rest of your life or someone else who's made uh, the decision to smoke weed is going to negatively influence your life and it's going to be ruined and you're probably going to die or get raped or something that's going to be awful or kill your mom, you know, just all of these insane storylines. But when that's all that you have and, and maybe you don't smoke weed, of course you're going to maybe believe that now Let's say you are someone that has continued to smoke weed or starts to smoke weed. If it were me in the 90s with with D.A.R.E., all D.A.R.E. made me want to do was try drugs. And I didn't at the time, but 
it, it made me curious. And that's kind of where we started to move when we moved into the 60s. There were still people that were smoking marijuana that hadn't necessarily stopped, but it started to regain a little bit of cultural significance. And people that had been smoking weed or that had just started smoking weed or experimenting, let's say, were noticing that there weren't really all these ill effects that these movies that they had seen prior, like it, they just didn't happen. When I think too, you saw a shift in the culture and film in Hollywood, like in, you know, the thirties and forties, it was like very adult oriented actors and, and movies, you know, as we get into the fifties, you're, you're seeing more of these polished productions were becoming, you know, the first teen idols and like movies mm-hmm. about uh, rebellious teenagers. These movies don't really show drug use um, in them, but there is this sense of rebellion in movies coming out and that younger, a younger generation is, is attracted to this sort of like dangerous lifestyle of like being younger and kind of rebelling against the parents and kind of rebelling against the societal norms and which for the 1950s was, was not that much of a rebellion (laughs) to be honest. I mean, for what you see in some of these movies, um, is is kind of laughable today, but really, like you said, not until the '60s do we see a significant change in the counterculture boom hitting Hollywood with a smack in the face with like the arrival of uh, Easy Rider. Oh yeah, Easy Rider in, in 1969 that started the idea of integrating marijuana into just into normal life as being just kind of part of it, something that happens. And maybe you can say, oh, is that one of those marijuana cigarettes? We still have that type of language that's left over. It's more of a curious thing than it is completely demonizing what it is. Some of these early uh, counterculture movies like uh, that Roger Corman produced some of these and Jack Nicholson, uh, like he was involved a little bit in Easy Rider, uh, the movie The Trip, where LSD is involved and Easy Rider, where, you know, they are smoke casually smoking pot and it's not a big thing. It's it's not like necessarily a stoner movie, but drugs are a part of the setting in a way that's not uh, saying don't do this. It's like these guys appear to be free and interesting and they, you know, but they also do drugs. And it was it was kind of an interesting time with the movies because then you did have Woodstock came out in like 1970, the documentary mm-hmm. film that also, you know, depicted drug use and depicted the counterculture of like music and, and young people kind of like making up their own minds of like what they want to do with drugs. But then we also had movies like Joe, which was you know, again, a movie that is kind of strange because it's uh, shows the counterculture side clashing with the conservative side of like, you know, you're going to go down a, a dark spiral um, with drugs. And so there. So, so then you're seeing like both sides of it in movies, um, though. I do think Joe is an interesting film if you've if you've never seen it. The 60s, specifically the late 60s, was still that mixture of a cautionary tale of the dangers of marijuana, but then also that curious aspect. And it, it is a really interesting time period. It's almost like filmmakers are flirting with the idea of just like dipping their toe on the other side of what they know reality is, but just not wanting to, to push the envelope and not be able to, to make their movie, but also be able to tell a story of what's happening in society at the time. 
And so during this period, the 60s on through to the mid-70s, you have this very significant change in American ideals, like this, this uh, a very clashing of two separate sides of American ideals. Like there's people that are hanging on to the ways of the 1940s and 50s. They don't want society to change. But then there's an influx of younger people that say, you know, that isn't the American dream. That's not the right way. So we have civil rights. We're going into the Vietnam War. You know, we have people that are opposing the war. We have people that are against it. America's very confused. It's a very dark time in history. So much violence, so much bloodshed. And drugs are still a way to demonize a group of people. The counterculture movement, you know, which a lot of people during that time period said, oh, they're hippies, they're pot smoking hippies, they just do drugs and they have sex. And, the, you know, <laughs> trying to sort of discredit these ideas that they had about having civil discourse. We need to change the way we see America. And with the entertainment industry, I think kind of broke off here because you had a change in Hollywood because for the longest time you had all these big studio systems and they, you know, they were very conservative. They made money and they kind of stuck with what people wanted and what was popular at the time. But when the dawn of television hit, um, these studios were taking a huge hit because people were watching televisions. They weren't going to the cinemas as much. Studios were losing control and kind of going back to Easy Rider, Easy Rider was independently financed and this was a movie that just exploded it made so much money and kind of took Hollywood by storm because uh, Hollywood didn't know what to do they're like hey wait a minute some of these young directors and writers they might be on to something people the younger people are getting excited about these movies and they're not so excited about the sort of you know sex comedies of the 50s and the screwball comedies of the 40s and don't get me wrong there's a lot of those movies that you know, are still beloved to this day. They're great films. But Easy Rider came along and just showed a completely different way to make a movie, uh, the way to use music, the way to showcase mm -hmm. uh, what young people were thinking. And you saw a big significant change in Hollywood with film there where studios were starting to let these young directors make movies, you know, Dennis Hopper, uh, Steven Spielberg, Martin Scorsese, George Lucas, Francis Ford Coppola, all these huge directors who were getting their start because they were young, they were talented, and they were looking at movies a different way and, and, and moving with the culture and making movies for this new younger generation. So once we get to the end of the 70s, there's a lot of lot of heavy films have come out, a lot of movies that have depicted sort of the trials and tribulations that, that young people uh, had been going through and rally against in America. And so toward the end of the 70s, we start to see a new dawn of drugs in movies. And that's with the use of comedy and a much lighthearted take on people that are doing drugs. And it's it's staged in a way that it's almost outside of the the world that everybody lives in you know they don't it's not really a movie that's dealing with racial equality they're not movies that are dealing with what's happening in America right now and it's more focused on fun and comedy and that first kind of started with uh, Cheech and Chong you know they 
became popular as putting out records and you know they had a shtick you know they're both these wacky characters they're smoking a lot of pot they're hanging out with women they're playing music and always having a lot of fun and really sort of hit a hit a chord with you know younger people responding to it they were selling records so naturally as everything with entertainment hollywood they're like hey let's turn this into a movie and so cheech and chong uh put out their first movie in 1978 and it made like a hundred million dollars. And I, I looked that up in the calculator for like, what is that equivalent to in 2001? And that's something like $400 million that this movie made. And it was a movie that was made for like $2, $2 million. And it's, it's basically two guys basically goofing off. And there's not much to the movie. It's it's them uh, kind of meeting up and trying to score pot, you know, and trying to find some fun. And it's very lighthearted. It's very silly. Any kind of situation where they're in danger, you don't feel like any sense of dread. You know, in the end, these guys aren't going to get killed. They're not going to get maimed. Uh, they're not going to end up in jail for the rest of their lives. Even though law enforcement is worked into some of these comedies, it's always unrealistic to the times. You know, no one's ever like, hey, they get arrested within the first 20 minutes for smoking weed and then you know cuts to them like five years later getting out of jail there's none of that kind of stuff like it's all based in a very like fun and maybe unsophisticated at times but fantastical way of uh, having fun and there not being any like terrible consequences wow man that's some heavy shit man Hey, man. Am I driving okay? I think we're parked, man. Oh, shit. God damn, I was in that shit, man. I never had no dope like that before in my life, man. That's the heavy shit I ever smoked, man. I mean, I smoked a lot of shit before, man. But God damn, man, that's heavy shit. You okay? I can't breathe. What's your man? I can't breathe, man. We just... Well, here, hey, man. Hey, hey, I got something to mail you out, man. You're just freaking oh, out. Here. here. I never smoked no shit like that before. Take these, what? man. Take these. This will what mail you this? out, man. What is this, man? Let's take them, man. Oh. Hey, hey, don't take those, man. What? I almost gave you the wrong shit, man. Hey, man, I already took them, man. Ooh. Hey, what do you mean? Oh. <laughs> wow, man. Hey, what was that shit, man? You just ate the most acid I've ever seen anybody eat in my life. Hey, man, I never had no acid before, man. Geez, I hope you're not busy for about a month. <laughs> shit, I'm gonna die, man. That stuff's gonna make me die, oh, man. man. No, that's good acid. Hey, man, man. I never had it before, man. That's gonna hey, make me die. Well, it's gonna make me freak out, no, man. man. I seen those guys that walk around my neighborhood oh, had too man. many acid, man. Their head looked like okay. a pumpkin, hey, like that, man. man. Wow, relax, man. Hey, mellow out, man. Now just go. Oh. What? Do it, man. Oh. 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 Shit. Mellow. 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 Yeah. You better now, man? Yeah. You mellow? Yeah. Feel all right, huh? Yeah, the Cheech and Chong aspect is such 
an abrupt change, you know, like we're coming off of this like serious remoralization, demonizing Vietnam era, either it's a part of life or it's something that maybe conservative folks are experimenting with that it's like naughty type of thing to be smoking weed. And then we have Cheech and Chong who are just dudes that smoke weed and they are going in order to sneak a bunch of weed over the border. They're going to make a van that is constructed out of weed. It is ridiculous. It's it's ridiculous. Up in Smoke was 78, I believe. Like I think that that movie is really funny. I think that it far surpasses any of their films that came after it. It is what kind of solidified a lot of different tropes that we would see in future movies. It really did abandon this trend that, that we had seen of either using marijuana as a coping mechanism in mash or something that was just part of life, you know, just experimenting. It was straight up in your face. We're going to smoke blunts that are the size of your forearm. I kind of love how ridiculous it is. And it's even over the top, like 40 years later. And it's, uh, it's interesting too, because it's not too, you know, the, the stoner, trope much i mean very very quickly after cheech and chong kind of died down the popularity of them we see it as just white guys you know but it's interesting that the start of this the the dawn of this is two non-white guys like uh tommy chong's from canada but he you know of chinese descent uh cheech marin um californian but latin american and they also you know cheech marin played on I think a lot of uh, stereotypical poking fun at some of the stereotypical, um, like the the Chicano accent, like kind of using mm-hmm. some of those yeah. as humor um, in the movies, but pop humor being like such a a big thing, and also just being like absolutely ridiculous, like the joint that's like the size of somebody's <laughs> arm. You know, they're smoking <laughs> in the car, and the car's so full of smoke you can't even see them. I forget which just, one it is. It might be Cheech and Chung's next movie where there's like an actual. Ex- explosion in the car because yeah it's gasoline when and, they, and, and they're driving a van made of marijuana you know just these plots that are just absolutely ridiculous but yeah they uh you know Cheech and Chong I mean I and I mean correct me if I'm wrong I can't think of anything that like predates Cheech and Chong as far as like starting what we know is like the stoner buddy comedy you know that's been yeah from that point on for you know yeah for 40 years has been used that's you know that's the model and like the stoner com, there was one that I hadn't seen in so long, but I did revisit that I think completely falls out of any type of alignment with other movies involving marijuana. And that's because number one, it's animated, but that was the movie that was based off of Robert Crumb's animated series, Fritz the Cat from 72. That is a, I don't know if you had a chance to watch that Justin I don't know when the first I must have watched that in high school but man watching that now it's a it's really jarring and weird to watch cats have orgies and smoke a lot of weed and I don't really enjoy it a lot (laughs) that was something that I would say predates as far as comedy goes Cheech and Chong but it is something that is so abstract and beyond anything that could ever be recreated. I think Fritz the Cat stands out by itself as a one-off yeah. type of thing. And with Cheech and Chong building the model to this, it was only going to be a matter of time before white people ripped this off and like turned it into like 
the the whole the white stoner buddy comedy but at least uh, as as far as i can determine um in some ways they let cheech and chong have a good run before they completely like rip them off because cheech and song had a good run i mean they made six movies from 1978 to 1984 falling up up in smoke their first movie with cheech and chong's next movie followed by nice dreams followed by things are tough all over followed by 1983, Still Smoking, and then closing out with probably their most bizarre film. Uh, I tried to sit through most of these, and some of them were just so wacky, but the Cheech and Chong's The Corsican Brothers, which is, I think, one of their most bizarre uh, of all their movies that they did. And and after that, I think, and that one was not real successful. They kind of went their separate ways. It was more of a departure, right? Yeah, it was more of a departure, and I think that one didn't hit, and I think they were kind of... You know, rightly so. I mean, it, you're, when you're doing a shtick after you, you do it for five or six years and that's what you're known for and you want to try to creatively try to do something else and everybody's like, no, man, do the stoner stuff. What are you doing? You know, they, they you know, I paid to see you guys get stoned and that's what I want to see. And so they kind of, uh, I think, you know, got, no pun intended, got burned out on it and kind of went their separate ways. But by that point, Hollywood had already said, hey, you know, we can we can go with this. Uh, we started seeing as early as uh, 1982's Fast Times at Ridgemont High. We started seeing the next phase of that stoner, except for there became this more of like stoner voice adopted that was different, similar to the Cheech and Chong stuff, but more of in a white dude stoner surfer Californian vibe. Sorry I'm late. It's just like this new schedule's totally confusing. Yeah, I know that, dude. Mr. Spicoli. That's the name they gave me. Hey, you're ripping my car. Yeah. Hey, bud, what's your problem? No problem at all. I think you know where the front office is. You dick! There was a long stretch where they, you know, movies or characters or writers, they just actors did not deviate away from that voice even in movies that weren't necessarily about people smoking weed and we'll get into that yeah Um, yeah. but the early 80s i think we really see the full blossoming of audiences not only being fine about watching movies where people are casually smoking pot smoking a lot of it and having fun they actually want more of this stuff you know it becomes very popular it, it, it kind of hits the mainstream conscious of of america and with you know teens of the 80s to me the last movie before the 80s hit and it wasn't like a big deal or anything but just because i love bill murray and i know more than a few people have seen this but where the buffalo roam i think was the last one that was this wacky adventure of just kind of like bizarre stuff that happened and was based on Hunter S. Thompson, which is someone who had been also influential along with Charles Bukowski as far as writers that were writing about not only smoking weed, but doing various other types of drugs too. But that to me was the last time aside from Cheech and Chong, that we had, you know, that wackiness that didn't appear until probably in the 90s. Because then we get into the 80s, and it feels like, yeah, we have the typical stoner character whose voice everyone loves to emulate, but it also develops into this the casual smoker, you know, just like hanging out, just casual mentions of weed smoking, the occasional pop-ups of 
adults, your parents, you know, smoking nine to five. We talked about the the pot scene in, in nine to five. It happens so often. And whether or not you consider it a stoner movie or it's just something that happens in the movie, this was certainly the trend in the 80s. Absolutely. And yeah, uh, nine to five is a great example of where, you know, you have characters who pot smoking is not a big part of their life, but you have the the sequence where these characters get stoned and they come together. It's usually uh, played up for humor in the movie. We also have uh, Poltergeist where the parents are getting stoned before the kids come in. Early 80s, you're starting to see sequences where, like you said, casual smoking in movies, but then there becomes a new stoner trope. Now, in the 80s, you know, there was a there was definitely a play that we saw in many 80s movies where they took the Cheech and Chong persona, the stoned out kind of wacky guy. You saw a lot of those characters popping up is a little part in movies in the 80s. But with uh, John Hughes' Breakfast Club, the John Bender character, I think we start to enter the the split of the stoner tropes where you start having the quote-unquote burnout character, the guy who's smoking weed, antisocial or like railing against people. You know, he's not trying to be a part of the cool group. He's the bad boy. He convinces the the popular kids and the nerds to like get stoned with him, you know, kind of corrupts them. And so we start to see that particular stoner archetype on display. So we've got the happy-go-lucky stoner, the sort of idiot stoner, and then we have like the burnout stoner. Generally in tiny little bit parts of movies, they're never like a big part of the story or anything, but they're definitely on display, like, you know, toking up and sometimes, you know, getting other characters stoned. The 80s was certainly a much more innocent time than what we had previously seen. And by working these scenes into films that were for a broad audience, I think was a sneaky way to help normalize what so many people were doing, which was smoking weed. And to come at a time when the war on drugs was at an all-time high, had kind of taken a new trajectory, had kept on with the idea that marijuana and all narcotics were the same, they should be treated the same. It was kind of a smart way to still have marijuana in films, but make it not something that was completely reprehensible, which is what we had seen before. But this was really the final decade of that era of marijuana's bad. You know, this was when we actually started having marijuana advocates. There was this distinction between if you had a movie where it was like a grown-up smoking pot, like, you know, Poltergeist or, or 9 to 5, we're starting to see a group of, of Americans who were in their teens and 20s in the late 60s, early 70s, and now they're in their 30s and 40s in the, the mid to late 80s. And we also see this new generation of teenagers that are smoking weed predominantly in horror movies. You know, just about every low-budget horror movie that came out in the 80s has a sequence where you have a teenager that's getting stoned and then immediately is killed by the villain, whether it be Michael Myers or Jason or Freddy or Leatherface. And even in some of those movies, they are borrowing from these tropes. You know, they'll have the cool smoke or the burnout, or they'll have the Cheech and Chong, you know, cartoon character uh, smoking weed. But it seemed like in horror movies in the 80s, that was, you had to have at least one person, you know, they had to get stoned and they had to have sex and they had to die. This moral lesson that had been there 
you know, historically in, in previous films had now morphed into something that had become just a part of horror movies that became like a horror movie trope versus the moral lesson of just being straight up about drugs. It became about if you do drugs, you're going to die, but it does it in a silly way. I mean, not that horror movies are silly, but in a way that hadn't really been seen before, but was kind of saying the same thing, but I don't think horror movies in general were trying to make that anti-drug statement at all. But it's interesting, up until the 80s, you know, it wasn't like white people smoking the weed. Pot was, you know, used as a, as a bad thing pre-80s. And I think that's shown even in like Back to the Future. They're supposed mm-hmm. to be in the 50s yeah. in the movie. And it's like the black guys in the car, like smoking up and the white dude's like, I don't want to mess with no reefer addicts, you know, like, <laughs> he, you know, no, no dope fiends. And it's, you know, I think that that scene is kind of showing like where the representation, you know, like it was like white people didn't smoke weed, even though they did, they just, it that wasn't presented, you know, in media. And then you have this really like, you know, a 10 year period here from post uh, Cheech and Chong to like the mid nineties where predominantly who you're seeing smoke weed on screen in movies are white young American males. Jumping off of Back to the Future, since this is, you know, a, a 80s movie that was about the past, also with 86's Platoon, this is talking about a time that was not that far before. Uh, with Platoon, there is copious amounts of weed smoking in that movie. And that brings up something that was, I mean, very real during during Vietnam, which was using marijuana as a coping mechanism. And I think that as far as Platoon goes, coping, I don't think using marijuana to cope doesn't really come into play until the later 90s and, and beyond. I will say, though, that using marijuana as a coping mechanism was very visible in the big chill Um, but for the most part, it is fairly innocent. Like it's fairly like Bill Murray and Caddyshack with Chevy Chase, like feeling throughout the eighties until we kind of get to round about 88, 89. And that's where it takes a delve away from marijuana and kind of moves us into what was the, one of the giant drug problems along with crack, which was cocaine. And we see that in, uh, Bright Lights, Big City. We do, yeah. The late 80s, you start seeing a distinction between the drugs, you know, like cocaine and heroin is is showing up more in movies and and more shown as these are the hard drugs that like adults are doing and like destroying their lives versus uh, kids smoking pot and sleeping into their classes. And certainly the destructive aspect of harder drugs takes more of a front seat later in the 90s, but we do have this revisit Again, to the Gen X kind of just chill 90s vibe that were a lot of the stoner movies of the time. And it's also where we start to see distinctions between types of movies. Pretty much, they're all going to be comedies for the most part. There are definitely ones that are not. But, I mean, Justin, what do you think? The first one that we see that's not necessarily a movie that's about marijuana it's not central to the plot but i mean reality bites comes to mind right yeah to me we've got days of confused first then reality bites days of confused more to me becomes the first movie of the 90s that even though it takes place in the 70s 
we've got the Slater character who's a little bit of a hybrid of some of the the stoner character tropes that we've seen before, but he's a little bit more intelligent. You know, he's like very fascinated and he loves to talk about weed and that new level develop a little bit more later in the 90s, but a character who he loves weed. He likes to talk about it. He likes to share it with his friends. It makes him excited and happy when he's talking about it. Um, it's a big part of his life. And Reality Bites Me shows more of a, takes us into the modern times of yes the gen x uh yeah we're all gonna toke up and we're gonna hang out and watch a movie like that a very universal and the most normal representation of getting stoned in the movie is reality bites you know like don't bogard that can man and they're all like laying there and they've got music on the background and we're definitely gonna order a pizza you know no one's going anywhere and then you also have True Romance, which came out in 93, where Brad Pitt plays this character of Floyd, who is uh, kind of replicating, again, tropes that we'd seen in the 80s. Uh, again, like the burnout, a mixture of like the burnout, lackadaisical stoner, um, definitely used for comic relief, not smoking a joint, but smoking out of like this like homemade uh, one of those like honey bear, uh, honey bear, honey yeah. containers that he's like <laughs> turned into some sort of like weird pipe playing on stuff that we'd seen already before, but a, a little bit more well-defined, you know, definitely, I think like a stoner character. Are you Dick Ritchie? Uh, no. Do you know a Clarence Wally? Yes. Do you know where we can find him? Yes, I do. Oh. Or where? At the Beverly Ambassador. Where's that? Well, you go. No. Yeah, go down. Go down beach. You guys want to smoke a bowl or? Oh. Go down Beachwood and drive a while. And then you're going to turn right, okay? And then you go and you keep driving and you. Do I consider that a stoner movie, True Romance? No, I do not. Do I consider Days of Confused a quote-unquote stoner movie to me? No, I do not. <laughs> I feel like there's a 10-year gap here. I feel like we have the last Cheech and Chong movie. That one was a little weird or not as, as much of a stoner movie as the yeah, other no. ones. But to me, a stoner movie is like the lead characters are potheads. They're like the Slater character or they're like the Floyd character in True Romance, but they're the lead characters of the movie pot is a central uh component of the movie um usually it again it's a buddy comedy like other movies we've seen i personally don't think we see like another stoner movie for 10 years after the the decline of cheech and chong till friday hits in 1995 and to me friday is our first real stoner movie of the 90s where you have a central character he smokes weed he has weed posters on his wall he's talking about weed he's selling weed he's trying to get his friends to smoke weed it's such a huge part of the movie i know you don't smoke weed i know this but i'm gonna get you high today because it's friday you ain't got no job and you ain't got shit to do it also connected with a generation of people who are smoking weed and they're like hip to the cultural references. There's music in the movie, like weed has found its way into popular culture and music. You know, Dr. Dre yeah. puts out the chronic. We've got Cypress Hill, 
with all these songs rapping about weed, we're hitting like the peak of people are talking about weed and smoking weed. High schoolers are like getting stoned and going to see Friday. They're getting stoned and going to see midnight shows of Days of Confused. It's really, really uh, a part of the cultural phenomenon. You know, you can go into a record store and they've got that back room that has like incense and like black light posters and like all this shit that stoners like want to put in their dorm rooms and, and hang up in their walls. Um, it's really uh, become a part of like, again, like pop culture. And to me, that all begins really, really hitting the mainstream with Friday. Now, there's certainly some other films like low budget movies, the Stone Age that came out that were trying to capitalize on the popularity of Days of Confused. But again, by my definition, I don't think we see a, a real mainstream part of pop culture stoner film until 1995's Friday. Do you and I, and I feel like you agree with me here Lindsay is that uh I definitely feel that the Stone Age needs to be put in a category all by itself. Yeah, but... movies that people shouldn't watch <laughs> stoned or not stoned. Maybe, maybe. One thing about the Dazed and Friday comparison, I love that those are both such important stoner movies that deal with weed during the early 90s that are both a hang movie and a day in the life story, which continue to be such a strong trope and such a strong through line through a lot of other future stoner movies that we have yet to see. And they really are the basis in a lot of ways in the same way that Cheech and Chong are. I know Dazed and Confused, I'm with you. I don't really consider it like a total stoner movie. It has a lot of weed components. A lot of people are smoking weed. It doesn't really make me want to smoke weed. Friday does. <laughs> Definitely. But I still think that it's worthy of being put in this category of films that deal with marijuana or in some ways it is involved in the plot. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. I think after Friday, there's offshoots, you know, like we have Kevin Smith puts out Clerks in 94. We have the characters of Jay and Silent Bob who are stoners and they go on. Kevin Smith puts them in another four or five movies all, all the way into, you know, he. I mean, he re recently just made a movie, another one, but up until 2001, he's got these two central characters where they're part of like the weed culture, like it's ingrained mm -hmm. in their characters. But I don't consider the Kevin Smith movies stoner movies, but I do consider him to be a part of the lineage of like stoner characters in movies. Um, I think the only other true stoner movie of the 90s is Half-Baked. And I also think that there's a big leap here from Friday to Half-Baked because Friday uh, is not only, uh, I think, the first stoner movie of, of the 90s, but it's also like the first all-black cast, and, you know, it's, it's a pot movie. But then Half-Baked is like, we've, we've got a like racially diverse cast, and it's also all about pot and the characters like getting together to smoke pot. But I think it's interesting that we have this jump here in the 90s where there's some cultural diversity in the characters in these stoner movies. We don't have two white guys that are that are goofy, yeah. um, that are buddies, yeah. or we don't have the one goofy white guy who's like getting stoned in the corner. I feel there's a more universal appeal here, drawing audiences that are white and black, you know, of all races. And just about two years before Half-Baked, I think is when it changed on a social spectrum. That's when California legalizes the medical use of marijuana, which plays a major role in the plot of Half-Baked. Hey, 
Why didn't you tell me we're into this shit, man? We could have been hanging out months ago. <laughs> no, 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 no. The, the uh, Food and Drug Administration are having us do a study to determine what, uh, if any, are the uh, medicinal purposes of uh, marijuana. Mm. Wow. Well, if you ever need a guinea pig, let me know, you know. My grandfather was in the Tuskegee experiments. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. Anyway, yeah. Uh, Thank you, Janitor, and enjoy. <laughs> Thank you, scientists. Got any papers? <laughs> if that hadn't happened in reality, you know, would the plot of Half-Baked been the same? Who knows? Maybe it would have been continuing on the storylines that we had already seen. But Half-Baked really did kind of change everything as far as where stoner movies had the possibility of going. And I do really appreciate how diverse the movie is. I don't know if that was intentional on Dave Chappelle's part, but I really appreciate it just being like, it's a non-issue, you know? And when we're dealing with something that has been so stigmatized racially, or been at least law enforcement has stigmatized it in that way, it's awesome to see it not even like being a thing in the movie. In uh, and again, you know, a movie that really gets into the realities of like where we are, you know, the modern times of like the weed smoker. I mean, you watch Half Baked and it breaks down the categories of the different type of weed smokers, you know, the, <laughs> the John Stewart character, like kind of hits on all the tropes that had been yeah. built up in stoner movies through the 80s and uh, early 90s. Without being a parody. Without being a parody. And I want to I want to sidestep just a second. Just a second. Yeah. I want to go back to 1988 because there is a, a hybrid of the stoner movie that I want to say has stony vibes. Oh, okay. That was my nickname in high school. Stony vibes. Yeah. Um, these movies have characters who have stony vibes, but they don't do drugs. And I think that kind of started with Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. You might even go further back to Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Yeah. You know, you can make a case for Wayne's World. Beavis and Butthead. Yeah, Beavis and Butthead. These characters who you could put joints in their hands and the movies would all be the same. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. it, it, it wouldn't, you know, it, it would totally still make sense. You know, yes. and so it's like there was kind of this string of movies and buddy comedies, you know, moments of lowbrow humor mixed in a little bit of an adventure there. They're trying to get somebody, you know, help a buddy out. But drugs weren't a part of it. But I think they, again, like I said, have these stony vibes where characters that appear stoned but don't do drugs. And and we all know those people. They exist in real life. Um, we've <laughs> yes. all worked with somebody like that and be like, I swear to God, it seems like you smoke <laughs> weed, but you don't. It's crazy because you just can't remember anything. To kind of fast forward, let's get back to the 90s. And one one thing I did just think of, the stoner archetype of the hero, the stoner is the hero, also begins to emerge in the 90s. And I would say that that's probably with all three of the main leads from Half-Baked, Dave Chappelle, Guillermo Diaz, and Jim Brewer. And this is something that definitely continues to happen. I would say maybe the stoner as the hero is one of the more popular tropes that's continued through even modern day stoner movies. So as we're seeing through the 90s, this has really become a visual torch passing, right? From counterculture to building up this pro pot vibes that have been happening and throughout the 90s like the 90s combated all of the previous propaganda that we had seen decades before even moving into a movie like American Beauty where okay American Beauty is not a stoner movie but 
1999, having white suburban man escape his problems of hating his life and coping by smoking a lot of weed. I mean, this is opening up a whole other dialogue that, I mean, I don't know if you could have told Harry Anslinger in the 30s that this was ever going to happen. You know what I mean? So we we've really moved after California made medical marijuana legal. It just kind of like changed the trajectory of where these movies were going. I think that pops up later on in movies too, where once it becomes legal in California or like used as medicinal yeah. in kind of breaks through that it's no longer frowned upon you do see moments in movies where adults are like oh i haven't smoked since high school but then they don't feel like it's such a terrible thing to do oh i'm gonna get stoned tonight you know and it's more socially acceptable um it should should make the distinction in saying that california legalized the medical use but it was still federally illegal. So dispensaries could still get shut down, even though it was legal in the state, which is insane to me that that happened for many, many, many years. Semantics. Right? <laughs> but the legalization, just the, the fact that it was a discussion, was opening up possibilities. And anything that happens in real life, socially, that is reflected in movies. You know, it's it's kind of crazy to me that in the 90s, we really only have these two movies. We only have Friday. We only have Half-Baked. And it's, I mean, you know, looking back on it, it's still kind of nuts to me that like post Cheech and Chong, I mean, they were printing money with those movies that no one jumped on that bandwagon and said, hey, like, why don't we make a, a Friday movie or a Half-Baked type movie in the 80s? Or even the early, early 90s. I don't know. It's kind of strange. But I guess, you know, the big budget movies came into the picture. There was, you know, it was a different time in the 80s. Comedies were even different. It was kind of weird. Like in the 80s, you know, you started having like big comedians like, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, become big stars like Eddie Murphy and and Bill Murray. And it's interesting to me because like post 90s is when you start to see like what I think is like the stoner movie coming into its own. It's becoming more prevalent. You're seeing more of these movies. Uh, More of them are becoming more successful. Yeah, the 90s kind of closed out on a a more serious tone. Now, you know, some listeners right now might be saying like, wait a minute, Justin, (laughs) you're forgetting a very, very specific movie here. What could that be? This is going to be one of those um, actually moments. I'm mad that you're just bringing it up now. I'm not forgetting about The Big Lebowski. But I'm telling you, I, I don't count The Big Lebowski as a stoner movie. By the definition of what I'm talking about, what I talked about before with Pop being a central counterpoint, the guy being a total stoner, because the, the Big Lebowski character is definitely more of a hybrid of the, you know, the burnout kind of lackadaisical guy. Even though it's the late 90s, Lebowski's like the early 90s. You know, it's the early 90s stoner. And, you know, the white Russian that he drinks is more of a signature drug to him than, than pot is even though he has all the characteristics of like a stoner, I don't think he falls into the stoner film. Yeah. Well, you know, that's just like, uh, your opinion, man. Now you may say, well, wait a minute. That's the number one movie that I like to watch when I'm stoned. I'm not going to disagree there and we are going to get to movies that people like to watch when they're stoned after we get through the 2000s we're going to touch on that because 
I think that there's a definite distinction between movies that you want to get stoned and watch, whether it be Eraserhead by David Lynch or <laughs> the Coen Brothers' Big Lebowski, and we will get to that. We haven't forgotten about you, Lebowski, but we're going to move on to the 2000s where yeah. we're going to talk about some more stoner movies. We've got a lot more topics ahead, so stick with us. So after we leave the 90s behind and enter into the 2000s, I think we really get, in, uh, pun intended here, the highest concentration of pot movies in those first 10 years of the 2000s. The largest amount of what we consider stoner movies uh, were made of, of any other decade that exists to this day. 2001's How High really kicked things off. That was one that you had seen. I had I had never seen it, and so I just watched that yeah. for the first time last week, and Man, that movie's just, it's so outrageous. I don't even know how to talk about it. Pot is like such a big part of that movie. And then then you add in on top of everything, like the just outrageous level of like these characters and like what's going on in the plot. And it just, it's just so, such a crazy movie. Yeah. I mean, blending being a, a buddy comedy, a movie about college, and then something that is, as fantastical as smoking the ashes in weed of your friend that died in order to have his spirit come back and help you pass tests in college. Like, it's just crazy. It's just crazy. There's a friendly ghost in a movie, if that's any (laughs) indication of just where this movie's headed. Got blunt. Got weed. Man, that shit smell good as hell, dog. I'm Jamal. Peace, Silas. So you trying to get something to bring them nerves down too, huh, bro? Yeah, I think if I study high, take the test high, get high scores. <laughs> right? Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, Method Man and Red Man, How High is is one of my favorite of all the stoner movies. Those two are just over the top and how they play off of each other. I think that they're very funny in every scene. Even as the movie goes on, it gets even more out there than when it started. Um, I always love uh, when Hector Alonso pops up in in a little role too. Where he's wearing Bufu. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there was the sequel to Friday, Next Friday, that was 2000. And I love Next Friday. I like Friday better, but I like that there was another one in the franchise which kept going on as well. Yeah, I, I thought I feel like it really lost its its stoner content uh, with the uh, omission of of Chris Tucker. Yeah. I think with any franchise, you lose a little bit of the magic. There's always going to be something that's missing that wasn't in the first one. I mean, even back to Cheech and Chong, you know. And there was definitely a few movies that came out that I think fell along the the line of some of the stoner movies that we talked about that are pot's not necessarily a big part of the movie, but they're kind of weird and they have like a specific comedy. And that's 2000s Dude, Where's My Car? and 2001 Super Troopers. Oh, and yeah. I think yeah. Super Troopers is kind of like a go-to for just about every other stoner. As many times as I try to watch it, it doesn't hit it for me. I mean, I get why it's included in the stoner lineage of films. I'll probably be slapped across the face by people on the internet for saying 
that I'm not into super troopers, but I don't know. I just, it's, I think the, the broken lizard movies just don't hit me right for some reason. But you know what? Give me Team America World Police as a stoner movie, and I will totally watch that, you know? Yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I'm The Broken Lizard movies, they don't hit me with, with comedy the way that they do other people. But Super Troopers is, you know, it's it's definitely got some, like, wild and humorous parts to it. Oh, yeah. You know what really did hit my comedic stride was 2006's Grandma's Boy. I want you to take the Frankenstein shit, the deer shit, the green monster, the bling, and the bling bling, and I want you to roll it all into one joint. No one's ever been brave enough to try that. One man is. Roll it. I'll smoke it with you, bro. We'll go to the loony bin together. I don't give a fuck. That film, with a few that we see in the 2000s, is a great example of not only being a great comedy, but also a great stoner movie. It is a the plot of it is interesting, fun, it's silly, you really actually care for the main character. He's a guy with a normal job, just it happens on hard times. It's a very relatable, average guy story, and I love Grandma's Boy. It's up there, too, on my, on my list of favorite stoner movies. Yeah, Grandma's Boy was one that uh, I, I probably found out about that movie maybe just only about 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it was always one that I heard people talking about, but it just, there was something about it that didn't, I was thinking it was just going to be really terrible and maybe it was one of those movies that people were tied to nostalgia for it. You mean because of so many comedians in it? Because it was such a big TV, you know, it was on cable. Like it was one of those movies oh, that- Comedy Central. Yeah, but that people just saw on cable for many, many years. And so, sure. you know, sometimes you have a, a nostalgia tied to that. Like, oh yeah, I remember when this was always on TV all the time. But- I really enjoyed it. I was kind of surprised at rewatching a lot of these movies in the last few weeks for this episode. Uh, Grandma's Boy had me cracking up, and it's <laughs> I love uh, Nick Swardson. I mean, that guy I is know. I know that guy's that so guy. hilarious, <laughs> and um, I don't know, you know, it, and it's another movie where it's definitely going over the top a lot of the times. So many moments to me, the performances and the humors there, the jokes are there enough so that uh, you know I don't mind if it's just going totally like ape shit toward the end of the movie <laughs> which other stoner movies do that much more but it it certainly does but it has a great climax just very standard like story arc climax that yeah. doesn't really have to do with the smoking of the weed you know that's just woven into the entire movie you know that's just kind of what it is yeah well yeah when also in like in, in between how high and grandma's boy a movie that I thought took that the crazy part of that and then just went bonkers almost too much, but is still funny as Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. They're going for that kind of humor too, where we're into these guys and things seem kind of normal, but then the one scene will kind of be played for jokes and stuff. And then the next scene is just like kind of off the, off the wall, like ridiculous humor. But that was another one too, that I enjoyed, Uh, you know, not as much as grandma's boy, but, they had a similar vibe going on with their bizarre humor. I enjoyed Harold and Kumar a lot more when it came out, and I still think it's funny now. I think maybe I've just seen it too many times. But one thing that'll always get me going is that battle shit scene. I don't know why it's like it's Harold and Kumar reacting to it. It's also pretty girls having diarrhea. I sorry. Sometimes I turn into a thirteen year old boy. Skag, you sank my destroyer. <laughs> Damn! 
shit. Stoner humor does lend itself to being that sometimes. And and for me, one of the funniest getting picked up by hitchhiker scenes. <laughs> I don't know. And I, I appreciate, you know, Harold and Kumar, you know, took a page out of Friday and Half-Baked and tried to diversify more. Actually kind of going back to Cheech and Chong throwback, you know, having that buddy comedy and having the humor be pot related, but not using two white dudes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to just... Uh, we were talk- you were talking about uh, Next Friday. Uh, another movie that came out 2001 as well was The Wash, a modern update of Car Wash, Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg. And man, Snoop Dogg did so many movies in the early 2000s. So many. I mean, so it's, ma- it's he was nuts. in Soul Plane too. Yeah, it's so nuts. Soul Plane was another stoner movie from 2004 that is worth at least one watch. I didn't want to laugh many times. I found myself cracking up though. You know, one movie we did kind of skip over accidentally in 2000. Now, I don't know if I would consider this a stoner movie, but certainly marijuana is central focus of the plot is a movie called Saving Grace. Absolutely wonderful blend of being a movie that I could pass as, as a stoner movie. But it's like if if your mom smokes weed, this woman whose husband passes away and she inherits all of his debt. She's going to lose everything in her life. And her gardener's like, hey, can you uh, help me bring this plant back to life? And not really telling her that it's weed. And she's like, I know what this is. And so in order to get her out of debt, save everything, they start a giant grow operation. Very unexpected plot. Totally didn't see it coming initially. You know what's going to happen as soon as she sees that it's a marijuana plant. But very endearing, sweet movie. Saving Grace. Watch it if, if you ever see it out there. I wonder if the TV show Weeds borrowed from that movie heavily. I could see that. Another, uh, an entire, I mean, that ran like, what, five seasons? Jeez, Weeds. That show, I think, is really indicative of the stoner genre, too, in that it started out a certain way for the first three seasons and then went just wackadoo over the top. It kind of followed the trajectory of what happens in a stoner movie. I really enjoyed the show Weeds. Yeah, and that show was like 2005 to 2012. So, again, right in this huge epicenter of all these like weed movies coming out like you know like one yeah. one or two a year really for like 10 years and even in 2005 they remade a musical comedy version of reefer madness which if you're into musical comedies and marijuana you should really give it a watch it's nothing like the original movie that sparked all of these films about marijuana from the 30s but it is jam-packed with faces that you know and certainly an entertaining watch, but you have to like musical theater to be into it. And uh, 2007 brings us to our favorite. Sure does. And uh, that's Greg Araki's great, great movie that uh, is just so underseen in that smiley face with Anna Ferris. I can't say enough good things about this movie. I can't quote it enough. Just, um, I mean, pick a scene, really pick a scene from that movie. Are you ready? I sure am. Are you ready? I sure am. Okay. <clears throat> Come on, Frank! You know I love the prizes! I'm stop you right there. I want you to do it again, but this time, pull it way back. Okay, sure, sure. You got it. <clears throat> Come on, Frank. You know I love surprises. What are you doing? I'm pulling it back. Not that much. 
Can't you find some middle ground? You better believe I can find a middle ground. Middle ground is my middle name. <laughs> the plot unfolds of a girl that's already a stoner, and when she's in the middle of being high, she eats her roommate's cupcakes, not realizing that they are, in fact, weed cupcakes, and then follows the stoner trope that we know of a day in the life of. But this is someone that is the highest of the high we've ever seen in any stoner movie. Like no other movie has ever done really, really demonstrates what it would feel like to be in that situation. Yeah, her trying to back her car out of her garage. <laughs> like, and it's and it's one of those garages that has the two poles, you know, that you got to like squeeze in. It's like, you know, just slightly covered. It's almost like a carport for like eight cars. I think the one of the more accurate uh, portrayals of like what it probably looks like watching someone super stoned <laughs> trying to back out of something yes, and think exactly. that they're just going to like tear their car off. And I've seen someone stoned backing out one of those and then totally <laughs> smash the side of their car because they couldn't uh, back straight out. I don't know what is the funniest aspect of that. Her seeing all the hallucinations that are like poorly done, you know, but it's like what her brain is seeing or her just putting the car back and drive and going, whoa, that was close or rolling out of the car. Everything about it. That's one movie where I think is great to watch high or sober. Yeah. Um, I think it plays yeah. great both ways. Actually, when you watch it high, it's like some, those scenes that are intense for her can be kind of intense. Anna Faris, uh, lover or hater, I think she's a fantastic comedic actor. I couldn't agree more with that one. And the other thing that Smiley Face does is that when you are a high person, sometimes you really go off on tangents and you get deep and philosophical and you find yourself talking about things that maybe you don't know that much about or maybe you do. That happens in this movie to a degree that you don't even realize that the movie itself feels like it's high. The main character might be high, but what's happening is just the experience, not just the visual. It's everything that's happening from her weed dealer trying to freak her out, just everything, just trying to get through life. It is, um, I've never watched a movie where I feel like it's not just on drugs or something. It's just an experience of the movie yeah. and not like a psychedelic trippy type of thing. There's nothing really like that in it. It's just an overall feeling of being incredibly stoned. And I like the use of narration in this because it's like her inner yeah. thoughts talking yeah, to you. Exactly. So you're kind of like there with her, like stoned with her, like hanging out with her, like you're getting to share this experience with her. It's it's a real clever movie and yeah. really uh, sharp direction by Greg Araki. And one could really make, the argument that many of Greg Araki movies could be meant for stoners or people on drugs. I love every single Greg Araki movie, even the weirdest or the ones that are hardest to watch. I love them. I love the dude. And I read a little bit about the making of this movie, and it seemed like everyone had a really great time, too, which was nice to learn about a movie that I adore so much that he was really open and just kind of no one wanted it to end. You know, you love hearing that about a movie. And Smiley Face uh, has not always been the easiest movie to track down. It's true. Uh, yeah, they ask a, a pretty penny for copies of DVDs <laughs> on eBay. But uh, you can currently watch it on Tubi. It's streaming for free. So if you haven't seen Smiley Face, um, check it out. Even if you're not into stoner movies, I think you'll get a laugh out of it. 
a friend and I have a, a story that we don't even know the origin of how many smiley face DVDs got lost between us. Like she thought I stole it and then I thought I gave it to her and I guess I didn't. But then I bought her one and then another one disappeared. We don't know. But all I know is the two copies that were between us. I never had them anymore. And then, Justin, it was you that found me a copy of Smiley Face. So it seems very appropriate for the movie. It is kind of crazy to think, too, that Pineapple Express came a year after this movie. And I was super late to the game with this film. This is like the apex of the vortex of joint engineering. It's rumored that M.M. O'Shaughnessy designed the first one, the guy who uh, designed the Golden Gate Bridge. My second favorite civil engineer behind... Hands Carl Bandel, Madison Square Garden. What you do is you light all three ends at the same time. Really? And then the smoke converges, creating a trifecta of joint smoking power. This is it, man. This is what your grandchildren are going to be smoking. Future. The future. That's amazing. Well, got the weed yeah. in the bag. Beautiful. Okay. Be careful with that thing, man. Here's the cash. Grab the stash. All righty, man. Thanks. Have a good one. Don't hurt yourself. Adios. Well, hey, wait a minute, man. Let's smoke this fucking thing. I really, I can't, man. I gotta. I can't even light this thing on my own. Yeah, I need your help, man. I'm in. Go on! Why not? Oh, Let's do yeah. it. Yeah, Pineapple Express is one I saw in theaters. I, I would, I've been a fan of David Gordon Green since. Uh, like no no joking since uh, his first movie George Washington came out he he's just been a director like I've really w- loved all his movies you know and he he was a guy who totally made a hard left turn like he did these very serious indie dramas and then started doing comedies in big budget kind of studio pictures and Pineapple Express is wild because it's like this very very high budgeted stoner comedy to the core but then also mm-hmm. has like two actors that people knew that had been in tons of movies like the, with a, a director who you know had a name it's just, you know, it was, it was almost like 2008. Like we had, this is like the biggest stoner comedy of all time being made here. And the fact that they actually pulled it off and it was unique and original and funny kind of blows me away. Cause you would think at this point, decades of stoner comedies, it would have just been a rehash, but they managed to make it feel pretty fresh. It was probably the most far advanced adventure buddy flick that we'd seen in the stoner genre because the extremes that it goes to for action in the last third of the movie really surprised me and it's and it makes sense in the plot of the movie but it's also exaggerated in that way that you are maybe you're high watching it maybe you're not but it's also appealing to that kind of nostalgic stoner sense of being silly comedy but the crazier that it gets, the more you're into it, you know? Yeah, and it's got that, uh, the James Franco, Seth Rogen duo was yeah. really well. I mean, you can tell that they're great friends and that their chemistry, you know, on screen is is really there. I mean, I think that's something that you don't see a lot of. You know, in stoner comedies, a lot of times it's funny, but their chemistry isn't like the greatest. Um, and the chemistry between... Mm-hmm. Those two on screen, I think, uh, really surpasses most of the the buddy comedy movies that that have come out over the years. I like that in the 2000s, we're still seeing the same trends that we've seen since Cheech and Chong. You know, we've got the buddy, the adventure, the, some type of 
task that needs to be accomplished or something that needs to be solved. It's funny that you can reuse a lot of the same tropes, but it still feels like a new movie. And later in the 2000s, I personally feel that the stoner genre has gotten pretty saturated and the movies that stick out like your grandma's boy, your smiley face, your pineapple express, it feels that they're just, um, you know, maybe just not as fresh as they once were. I think around 2008, yeah, 2008, after Pineapple Express, I don't think we got anything quite as good or quite his just straight up stoner comedy yeah. as we did in this time period, this time span of like 2001, 2008. I mean, there were certainly a few movies, like I consider Ted a stoner movie that came out in 2012, and it had a sequel, and Harold and Kumar had a sequel. But I don't think we got, like, again, that great concentrated area of, of 2001, 2008, where, you know, these unique, creative, funny stoner comedies were just, like, coming out one after another. You know, though, Justin, there is one movie that sticks out for me. I wouldn't consider it a stoner movie, necessarily. It's much more of a horror movie. But it plays on the stoner as the hero trope more than any of that in the entire history of stoner movies and i really do enjoy cabin in the woods that movie is a scooby-doo mystery i mean every one of those characters is a character of scooby-doo and that the hero of the story who is actually the moral compass of everything that's happening the person who is not affected by the big bad that's happening in the film is the stoner and in the end he's the guy that doesn't turn on his friend even when faced with the end of the world. The way that Cabin in the Woods works marijuana into the story is pretty simple, but it was really ingenious just the way it went down. And I'm always going to love that stoner character and, and how that plays a role in the film. And I guess in a lot of ways, it does fall into stoner movies because it really does have a lot depending on the usage of marijuana. I, I think it that it fits nicely. Also real creative and different movie. Mm -hmm. Very, very original. Yeah. The trope that continued certainly throughout the 2000s that originated in the 70s of the people that are just smoking weed in certain sections of a film, that certainly continues. That I think that's something that's just always going to be a regular thing. It sticks out for me, most notably in this movie I adore called Eulogy from 2004. And it's adults in a, in a family and there are multiple smoking weed sessions. And it's not even like that big of a deal. It's used as a coping mechanism, which we've talked about before, was a trope that we began to see. And there's always going to be little weed sections of movies like I consider Wet Hot American Summer to be a stoner movie but there's only like a two minute intense hardcore drug scene in that but it's really the only thing that we see about yeah. marijuana there might be like one or two things that I can't really remember but that would be an example of a movie that is the unintentional stoner movie or maybe intentional but just you know drugs weren't really the focus of it so kind of to close out this 2002 current section, I found uh, the documentary Super High Me, which I hadn't seen. And it was comedian Doug Benson's play on the documentary Super Size Me. Now, Doug Benson is a very well-known stoner stand-up comic. So when he saw 
the documentary Super Size Me came up with the idea of what would happen if I didn't smoke weed for 30 days. So after a life of smoking weed every day of his life, he has a 30-day hardcore reset of not smoking weed and going through everything that happened in Super Size Me, like talking to a therapist, seeing a doctor, evaluating everything that's happening in his body. Is anything changing, if at all? And then after that 30 days, he smokes weed religiously for 30 days and measures that against the previous month. I'm not going to say what the results were. That documentary is readily accessible out there, I think, for free right now. So check it out if you can. Doug Benson's Super High Me. Doug Benson just showed up in that uh, the last blockbuster documentary I watched. Oh, yeah? He's like super stoned in that, too. <laughs> His comedy, I felt like, didn't change. There was some weird shaming from other comedians that, I mean, I'm sure every comedian's used to that, but I was surprised in seeing how many comedians kind of like put down weed, unless, you know, there was Sarah Silverman, but... I don't know. There were a lot of things that surprised me in that documentary, not only the results, but the reaction of his peers that he was doing it. Weed definitely doesn't seem like a stand-up comic drug. You know what I mean? Yeah, it seems more like cocaine or alcohol. <laughs> There's a lot of other little yeah. ones here and there, but I think I think this pretty much, that wraps up like the best of the best in, in, in the 2000s so far. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very curious to see uh, where the future is going to take us. I'd love to see another big budget stoner comedy. I hope that happens. Justin, after all of this research and just total immersion, we really did, man. We immersed ourselves in all of these movies. What was maybe one of the most surprising things that you found out or a trope that stood out? Anything like that. I'm remaining positive here. I don't want to sound negative, but I watched yeah. a lot of these movies uh, daily for like <laughs> yeah. two weeks. And I, I can honestly say I, I'd be fine not seeing a stoner comedy for like the rest of the year. I think I like overdid it a little bit. And one of the main things but by watching so many of these together, I noticed is that a lot of the times the stories of these movies are very thin, you know, and that that's one thing I do even though it's thin, like Pineapple Express, like kind of keeps going, it keeps you interested. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where a lot of these, you know, it almost feels like they only had about a 50 page script and then they're trying to cram, like they're trying to make this thing go for like 85 minutes. Um, what about yourself? Did you, you know, after sort of binging all these stoner movies, did you come away with uh, similarities or did you, did you get burnt out like I did? You know, I didn't actually, and I'm not saying that I want to watch another stoner movie tonight. I, I need like a second, but I never really got tired of it. I think I only felt fatigued if I came across one that I didn't care for. Like I, I thought, I don't know how Idle Hands skipped by me, but that movie from 1999, which is a stoner kind of horror, definitely dark comedy. But movies like that that I hadn't seen before that genuinely surprised me, that felt really cool. Coming across other things that weren't a new rehashing or just, you know, just were kind of a bummer, you know. Um, then I felt fatigued. But honestly, overall, no, I'd, I'd watch another one tonight if, uh, you know, if one came up and was like, oh, somehow that escaped me. Did you watch five out of six Cheech and Chong movies? Let's see. What did I watch? I watched uh, Up in Smoke, Next Movie, Nice Dreams, and the fourth one that's not the Corsican Brothers, like Spacing. 
and the fourth one. I still smoking. Still smoking. Thank you. Of course. The Cheech and Chong movies, Up in Smoke, totally always going to be funny. I felt that they were better than the movies that came after them, and I know that they both got more involved in them and I'm not trying to make an insult or anything. I still thought that they were funny, but there was just a certain magic about Up and Smoke. Anything actually, I would never talk smack on any of their of their movies. They're definitely of a certain time period. You know, it is what it is, but yeah, I watched all of them. I didn't yeah, get right, really tired right. of it. Yeah, I was going to say if you if you if you had told me, yeah, I've only I only watched like two of them, then I'd be like, well, then there's a reason why you're not fatigued yet. <laughs> But no, no, they're fun. They're no. fun movies. I... Probably the two biggest things that stood out to me. I mean, because we're looking back on a lot of these movies in a 2021 light. So, you know, race and gender are at the forefront of any type of representation. When we look back at movies, the most jarring thing to me is that Smiley Face, aside from Laura Silverman in Half-Baked, Smiley Face is the only film to prominently feature a female you would think that women don't smoke weed by watching all of these stoner movies and in in some cases not in like 20 percent, it happens where women aren't really in the best light and it's dumb college type humor but sometimes they're just non-existent you know yeah so that was something that wasn't necessarily surprising, but really stood out when watching so many together. And the other thing that stood out is the clear differentiation between hood stoner movies and bro stoner movies. And sometimes those worlds bleed together, but not that often. And I'm probably more of a fan of the hood stoner movies than I am bro. Like I'd rather watch how high than pineapple express, but I like both of them a lot. You know, I like pineapple express. So that, that aspect stood out to me. And along with that, just the fact of how much racial humor has been in stoner movies, starting with Cheech and Chong, you know, and just sometimes cringeworthy. Sometimes not, but certainly you watch all of these together and you can't help but notice certain jokes. Like there are some in Harold and Kumar that you're like, damn, okay. I'm more of a fan of the how high and soul plane of making fun of of Whitey. Like those to me are really funny. (laughs) So those were probably the two biggest things that, that stood out to me. Well, these are like the stoner movies we said earlier by our definition but as I talk to some people and we're looking at lists of like movies that people like to watch high, strangely, almost none of these movies appeared on those lists. I found that kind of surprising, really, until I honestly started watching all these stoner movies one after another. I took a break from time to time and said, you know, I'm going to watch a different kind of movie, watch something that's a little more visual and slow. That was really pleasant, too. When we started doing this, I messaged my buddy Alan. He's, I mean, he's seen more movies than I think anybody that I know. And he's a stoner. So I was like, oh, man, what are the movies that you like to watch most high? And I was kind of shocked at the list he sent me. I'm just going to read this off real quick. Vertigo, Dr. Strangelove, The Long Goodbye, Slapshot, The Warriors, Blade Runner, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Total Recall, Gremlins 2, Jacob Slatter, which I told him. No, I, that, <laughs> Jacob Slatter. I, I don't like watching Jacob Slatter like really that often just because it scares me so bad. I wouldn't yeah. be able to sleep if I got stoned and watched Jacob Slatter. And then uh, Hard Boiled, True Romance, uh, seven, another movie that would be a tough okay. one for me. 
you like to watch some scary stuff, Alan, when you get stoned. But then he's got, oh, brother, where art thou? 40-year-old virgin, Batman Begins and Drive. So pretty pretty interesting list, I think. Yeah, uh, and yeah. thank you, Alan, for answering uh, this yeah, question for you. me and, and compiling this list. You know, I actually watched a couple movies off his list after he sent that to me. Going through these, I find, uh, I don't know, I'm kind of half and half, you know. I, I, I think it's depending on my mood, you know, but I think a more visual movie or something I really want to, like, set myself up for. You know, I do the edible, so put some... Uh, a honey tea mix and some tea and come down and watch like a 2001 type movie, you know, something that's like slower and more visual and maybe yeah. meditative um, yeah. versus in more of a fun mood to get a little stoned and, and watch a comedy for like 90 minutes. Sure. And I too asked a friend of mine who smokes copious amounts of weed, what their go-to movie is do they have a go-to movie what's something that they would avoid and pretty much it came down to i'd watch really anything high (laughs) i think that's the mark of a true stoner but overall the consensus was nothing anxiety provoking I mean, that could be you're watching a drama, you're watching something sentimental, it could be a comedy, it could be anything, really. But just as long as it's not something that's anxiety provoking. You don't want to watch uh, Gravity super high? No, no. I barely want to watch Gravity completely stone cold sober because it makes my heart want to just burst like I'm outside in space. My other friend did say that his number one go-to movie for being high and watching a movie is 2001 A Space Odyssey, which I saw top many, many lists. Yeah, same. That showed up on so many lists. That to me, I, again, with gravity, would, no, it makes my jaw feel tight. I just want to crawl into a ball. That's not what I want to watch. But I mean, that's me. You know, I think out of everything what this comes down to is that everyone's experience is different. Whether you're high or not while watching a movie, stoner movies can vary in in what you consider them to be. Maybe it just has to do with marijuana. Maybe it's about stoners. Maybe the movie itself, like Smiley Face, is just high. Yeah. And please uh, let us know, listeners. Send us an anonymous message if you wish. Tell us what movies you love to watch when you're high. We look forward to hearing your selections. We've got a lot coming up. Our next episode is even going to be more exciting than this one. Uh, We'll be talking about our favorite movies to watch when we smoke crack. Cannot wait. Um, But no, our our, uh, next uh, episode is our most special episode of the whole year. It is our three-year anniversary show. Three years. Oh, my God. It's kind of insane to me that we've been doing this, you know, almost three years now. But uh, that's going to be a great celebration. We're going to have one of our biggest giveaways that we've ever done, which is going to be super cool. And we'll be talking about James Cameron's The Terminator. Fun episode ahead. Yes, I cannot wait to dig into Terminator. If you haven't already, please follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. We have a YouTube channel there that has all of our episodes. You can find all of our old episodes as well on our website at don'tpushpausepodcast.com. There we also have a... Uh, store that has tons of merchandise all the monies from that helps us give you a bigger and better podcast if you like to reach us for any reason please do tell us what you're watching tell us if you enjoyed the episode we always love hearing from everybody Uh, you can reach us at don't push pause podcast at gmail.com until next time i'm justin johnson and i'm Lindsay reaper thanks so much for listening thank you guys 
Everywhere. 